Welcome, friends and fiends. This is your host, film critic and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. And I'm here to tell you about an exciting giveaway that Warner Brothers Discovery and Colton Classic Films LLC has put together to build your 4K Ultra HD film collection on digital. We are giving away four codes which contain digital 4K Ultra HD versions of Rebel Without a Cause, Maltese Falcon, and Cool Hand Luke. These are films that you absolutely must know as a film buff. You can get this code by being one of the lucky four people we pull from our newsletter list. So go to coltonclassicfilms.com slash newsletter and give us your email and your name and we'll sign you up for the newsletter and we will enter you in the competition. That's all you got to do. So please go ahead and do that. The contest ends on April 30th and we will send out the winning codes on May 1st. Thank you so much for being a listener. And here's your episode of Colton Classic Films Podcast. Welcome, friends and fiends of the pod, to a brand new episode of Cult and Classic Films Podcast. I'm your host, film critic and comedian Nate Wyckoff. And today, instead of a pair, we usually do a pair of films, as you know, one mainstream and one cult, both thematically linked. We're just going to straight up do a film that we wanted to talk about for Halloween, and that is Peter Jackson's 1996 feature, The Frighteners. Um, There's a lot to talk about about this movie. Uh, I, I think it's solidly a cult film that is also loved by many mainstream viewers because it did have a wide theatrical release uh yeah and it, there's there's so much more we can go into but before we do that i want to introduce my panelists we of course have tad masterani how are you doing tad am i dead yet you are dead this is and this is a specific request by tad it, for it was for it was Halloween. i'm actually very excited yes. but i'm also tired it's well you know what that's we're we're millennials that's how it works we're always tired uh jeffrey tucker how are you doing jeff great thanks for having me on oh well you know it was about time uh just kidding you're always on and i love it and we also have mandy longley how are you doing mandy i'm just peachy just peachy pumpkiny pumpkiny it just pumpkin spice um i I'm a little under the weather. Luckily, it is not COVID, but I don't know what the deal is. I seem to be uh, degrading in health as I get older, which uh, I that's that I didn't know that could happen. Um, but apparently, it's it's how it's how medical how science operate. is continuously failing us. Nobody nobody told me that this is what this is what 38 would be like. Uh, yeah. So, but I'm happy to talk about this movie, The Frighteners, starring Michael J. Fox and a plethora of other talented cast members, um, including uh, Gary Busey's son, Jake Busey, uh, just so, so many we're going to talk about. Uh, and of course, the amazing Jeffrey Combs that I can't wait to, to dig real deep into this performance. But Frighteners is a film that is part comedy, part horror, part sort of action-y movie and special effects film. And it used... Uh, uh, heavily used 3d effects um although there is a strong smattering of practical effects as well and this is something that um peter jackson is really known for doing i mean peter jackson started as as a real special effects guru uh with really off the wall gore films and then he moved to you know more mainstream fare but always has a strong (laughs) foot in practical effects uh that are augmented by by cgi and uh 
as most film people will tell you that that's that's the best that's how it looks the best you know because cgi lets you smooth out the corners and do some things that practical just can't do well practical gives you the the realism and the the handcrafted detail that cgi struggles with um, but the frighteners plot line for anybody that hasn't seen this film first off i think if you like horror movies at all you should see this film if you haven't yet if it's if it's been on your list forever just dive in and watch it um and, and we're going to talk about why it's day the plot is is that uh, michael j fox plays uh a a yet another sort of a ghost-like uh, coincidence yet another con artist psychic um ghost hunter who actually can communicate with dead people he sees and hears and sometimes feels dead people his character's name is frank bannister and he uh starts seeing uh, numbers spiritually carved into people's foreheads and it denotes uh when this hooded grim reaper figure is going to kill them uh and again spoiler alerts it's not really a reveal i think uh in the grand scheme of things uh it, it's revealed about halfway throughout the movie but if you haven't seen it you don't want any spoilers then turn this off go watch the movie and come back but the hooded figure turns out to be a, a local serial killer who's come back from the grave to claim more people and try and uh, beat other serial killers numbers. Uh, he has a still living uh, girlfriend who is uh, homebound and still crazy. And uh, things kind of go from there. Michael J. Fox has to do a whole bunch of stuff. He has to sort of die a couple of times to, to fight the spirits on their plane. Um, and we get a lot of really great effects like faces coming out of walls and bed frames and picture frames and um ghostly apparitions doing ghostly shit like picking stuff up holding stuff in the air uh making making sex jokes all sorts of crazy craziness uh michael j fox is assisted by his uh soon to be romantic partner lucy linsky played by trina alvarado and uh also the judge played by brilliant character actor john astin and then we have uh, uh, his his sort of two rider dies, uh, Stuart and Cyrus. Cyrus is played by Chi McBride, and Stuart's played by Jim Fife. Um, and then, of course, Johnny Bartlett, the serial killer, is played by Jake Busey. Uh, and his his uh, uh, what would you even call her? His his love is uh, played by who is it? D Wallace, I believe, um, plays his 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 lover any who's it's uh d wallace of course has been in so many awesome movie i mean really like a who's who of genre films et cujo critters in 1986 the howling uh just I mean, it's sort of every every movie you could you could think of that's that's worth watching from 80s horror she has got a very good chance of of being in um the we're just going to dive right in. I want to hear what other people think uh, before I get to my spiel, because the plot is fairly straightforward. Um, it's sort of like in a video game where you have to change change worlds, uh, quote unquote, to switch from like the shadow world to the bright world or the living world to the dead world because you can't hit a character because they're on the dead world and you're on the other one. It's a complicated way of saying it, but anybody who's played a game like that, that's sort of the idea of the Frighteners, right? There's their spirits. They can interact a little bit with people, but people can't really interact with them very much. So you have to die or be in like a state of death in order to really fight them. And and so that's where some of the tension goes. So we get a, bit, a little bit of Flatliners energy. Uh, uh, and then we also get some like um, some... Trying to think of, of other examples where there's like a serial killer come back from life shocker that sort of thing where there's 
just uh, uh, all sorts of tropes are in this movie, I guess is what I'm getting at. I'm not sure. It's it's not so much that a ton of things are new, although there are some fun twists. Um, most of the new things are kind of visual elements and, and gag elements, whereas the actual story is solid, but it is treading familiar ground. Um, which isn't a bad thing, especially when your focus is, as I said, on really wonky characters, a little bit of humor, and some really kick-ass special effects that, uh, personally, I think I think hold up fairly well. But Tad, why don't you start us off by telling us why did you want to do this film, and how did you feel watching it yet again? So I think that this is actually one of the most underrated films of the 90s. Um, this was one of my dad's favorite movies when I was young, and uh, I never saw it when I was young. My dad recommended it to me a little later in life, like high school era. And I sat down and watched it and I was blown away by how much fun this movie was, especially, you know, like at this period that I was watching this movie, Michael J. Fox had been diagnosed with Parkinson's. His career was almost effectively over at this point. And you saw mm. how much of a range he had. He kind of played a, a really like sympathetic dick in this movie, which usually mm. Michael J. Fox tends to play like snarky, but kind-hearted people like he's not a kind-hearted guy in this movie for the most part he's really kind of a dick almost like mm. a, a harrison ford indiana jones i was just gonna uh, say it was kinda, a very harrison yeah. ford moment yeah yeah uh but the the i was i was actually really impressed even today by how good the special effects were for a movie from 1996 although i think around this era wasn't casper out like the same year or a year before i can't remember what what, what year was the casper movie uh casper that's a good question it was close um i think it was was it 90 98 95 so it was it was, was the year before very i was quick. gonna say it had to be pretty quick so i mean peter jackson's proven himself to be a one of the most solid directors of our generation but this is the, like i just everything about this movie except for the end like i don't know if i don't know if you had the same problem i did the ending of this movie tends to drag a little bit like they spend a lot of time throughout that last sequence it's actually a mm. pretty a bigger chunk of the movie than i remember it when i was younger but it also reminds me how many times nate did i ask when am i going to get jake Busey as carnage as cletus cassidy and i never yeah. fucking got it i wanted yeah. that to happen he would be a great i mean i i absolutely love woody harrelson i think he did a solid job but jake Busey is to me kind of what they what they seem to have based the comic character off of um and it, yeah so the the final sequence is uh, i mean it's at least 25 percent of the film but they're basically um uh running through the uh, abandoned hospital sanitarium and the sanitarium is where johnny bartlett uh, and his girlfriend went on a killing spree uh all those years before so what happens is uh basically the girlfriend is chasing uh the two leads with a shotgun and at the same time they're trying to get the sealed ashes of johnny bartlett so he's sort of out of commission to the chapel so he can uh, be basically tossed into the afterlife and they won't have to deal with him anymore. Uh, but what happens is uh, crazy uh, federal agent slash occult nut job, uh, Jeffrey Combs character pours the ashes out and uh, frees Johnny. And so we have this multi-character chase uh, at the same time as Michael J. Fox's character is living flashbacks as he stumbles through the sanitarium of 
um, the the original murder spree. And that's actually kind of my favorite part in a way are those elements because it's where it gets really creepy to me because even though we've had all this spirit, this uh, supernatural monsterish stuff, the actual like being chased by an older version of a murderess and a murderer and then like at the same time having flashbacks where you're living through their killing spree really brutal killing spree um in this movie that was a good juxtaposition but then there is this additional tail end part in the sanitarium where essentially it's just a comedy of errors with with michael j fox falling through a floor and character character a getting shot and then character b um you know sort of uh, being i don't know just a lot of things happen but i agree i think I wonder if your exhaustion comes from the fact that it's that sort of, I call it the uncharted or Tomb Raider syndrome where like a character is beat up so much that by the last round of getting the shit kicked out of them, you're kind of like, I get it. Like what's, what's next. As as someone who did play the Tomb Raider remake, I know exactly what that feels like. Cause by the end of it, it's like, I don't even, I don't even understand what is even going on anymore, but in terms of this movie, no, I, I still love this movie. And uh, it's, it almost, it's like a family film for like 75% of it until you get to that scene. And then it, it flips quite a bit, but like, I could envision myself sitting down with my kids and watching it for the most part, because it feels like Ghostbusters all the way up and basically until that point. And you mentioned Casper. I actually get strong Casper vibes from yeah. this, which kind of tells us the time because obviously they didn't really influence each other because they were in production at the same time. But they have that sort of like, it's a little risque for like, it's not going to be G-rated, but, you know, solidly PG-rated. And if you really worked at it, it feels kind of PG sometimes. It's not a bad way, just in a light tone. But the reality is, is this show is definitely kind of gruesome. Um, and what's interesting is... A lot of people at this now, people hear Peter Jackson and they think Lord of the Rings trilogy. Um, and maybe if you really press hard, then they think, uh, you know, the King Kong remake uh, with um, Colin Hanks. But what do we think Black. of? We think of Dead Alive. Lord. Uh, you think we think of Dead Alive. <laughs> and, and this this film, The Frighteners, was sort of it was really the bridge from Peter Jackson's early extreme outsider film gore inappropriate new zealand based movies that i think people who were like he's my favorite director when uh which is much deserved by the way when lord of the rings came out would have been horrified we're talking things like bad taste about space aliens uh and lots of head explosions and things and um meet the feebles the incredible drug and blood and sex fueled um muppets spoof uh that he did and of course dead alive can you know long considered the goriest film of all time it's questionable but it's pretty gory and disgusting uh and and a weird comedy and then he did heavenly creatures um with kate winslet right before this movie and that gave a lot that had a lot of people uh that's why chi mcbride agreed to do this film uh, right away he he had seen heavenly creatures and loved it and a lot of people did and so that gave him sort of the wherewithal to to be able to get this film produced robert zemeckis uh was was you know produced it and uh it it's really is a bridge between those early films and mainstream films it's like all of the really grossness is toned down but there's still a lot of gore uh, and graphic violence um, and some sex humor, but 
it's not necessarily the core draw right the the draw is is this this spooky mystery story you're trying to figure out um why who's what's killing these people and we have one character who can see something that others can't uh and and so you know that's where that's where it is and of course i, I want to mention before i forget that um this is of course directed by peter jackson but it's written by peter jackson and fran walsh fran walsh being his wife who also it's his, she's his writing partner they write together they wrote the lord of the rings films um they wrote king kong they they always work together and it's uh it's it's a clearly a great working relationship um jeff what was your uh memory of the frighteners and what was your feeling watching it this time again uh this is the first time i've i've ever seen the frighteners what? Oh, I am shocked. Thank God. Okay, anyway, continue. Yeah, I don't know. I never saw it before. Uh, I've seen, I've not seen lots of films. Um, um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe um, I'm lacking the nostalgia element. Uh, but I, I think that the, the effects in this film are very entertaining, and I enjoy them. But I don't think that they hold up today. Um, I feel like it was kind of like a the ramp up like i can see the um like the wheels turning and them like figuring out how to do it and like maybe the technology was uh a little bit holding them back um but like you know it was only five years after this film that um uh peter jackson was um you know had already released a lord of the rings film so mm -hmm. um it, you know there's not a lot of there's not a lot of time in there that uh, the craft really ramped up pretty hard. Um, and I think, uh, you know, almost 30 years here later, uh, it, it, the, the effects just, uh, they're great and entertaining, but I think, I think maybe for a younger audience, it might be a little hard for them to go into this film and, um, uh, view it the same way as I think that's fair. Maybe um, you are. It's interesting because, well, uh, just and just to touch on that, I know I always butt in. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. The one thing they did, because clearly it's CGI to the level that we would almost see on like a sci-fi channel original now, right? It's so attainable. Um, but one thing they did is, and this was smart, was I feel like they did a really, they made really concerted effort to have no sharp edges in their 3D work. And it it makes it tolerable to a level that so many other films don't. Um, like I'm thinking of the boar in um, uh, at the at the very end of Brotherhood of the Wolf, uh, which it, it you could tell a lot of work went into it, but it stood out a lot because it it to me it became polygonal. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, whereas this one, they they did the, their darndest to do without that. Yet we still it's it's dated comparatively. Oh yeah, absolutely. No, I I agree. I I, I mean I I think that there's a lot of craft here. Um, yeah. and, and I, I think that like, you can really just watch this film, just like kind of going through and like, you know, how did they do that effect? How do they do that one? Cause it really, like you said, it is a mix of kind of practical, um, with computer generated stuff, which is always really interesting. Cause it's, there's a lot of, um, process that goes into that. Um, and it's kind of interesting to, to at least kind of imagine how they, <clears throat> they threw that together um with the technology at the time um but yeah i mean I, I think that you know michael j fox is like obviously you know a gem of uh, uh and uh you know almost anything that he's in is completely watchable because he's he, he even even though he is like 
very unpleasant in this he's still somehow charming um he, like his his dialogue he like treats his friends like garbage <laughs> like i don't yes, even yes, i does. don't even understand how he earned such wonderful friends that are like just never dissuaded from like coming to his rescue really um, you've listened to me on the podcast right <laughs> yeah <laughs> maybe so <laughs> but it's just like he like he doesn't he doesn't listen to them he like he, he doesn't seem to you know he takes them for granted he ignores them he um quite frankly doesn't seem to care what their problems are um <laughs> and and yet they're like they're just they're willing to sacrifice themselves for him you know it's like it, it it there doesn't seem like a balance in that relationship which makes him seem even worse <laughs> than like uh if he was just a curmudgeon in a you know in a room talking to himself um uh he, so so this guy comes off real nasty but like michael j fox does a really good job of of making him still like a human and um uh kind of continuing the the story along with him is uh is fun um yeah i think those are my two two major takeaways from this film. like fair fair man well, i need i need some friends like that <laughs> <laughs> some real writer dies yeah, yeah yeah they they imply that there's like reasons why they hang around with him but we don't there must we be don't yeah we don't him. know what it yeah, is yeah we don't get him um mandy had you seen the frighteners before and what's your takeaway having watched it for this episode i had not seen this one before this one missed this one skipped our household somehow i mean we we're prime age to see this one you know i think well i would have been jeff would have been too young um but like i could have gone to see it in theaters i just did not, it was not even on my radar um <laughs> i like that's the, one of the reasons why i recommended this movie awesome. <laughs> to the point where i started watching it and i was like is that a michael j fox like <laughs> what am i seeing right now uh and no and it was just like delightful to see him in a film that like reminded me of look how almost him in um like scrubs kind of near the end of his career right which, right which yeah. is fantastic in that it's just very nice to see him um you know be very much him i guess like you know like just kind of like what you think of, what i think of when i think of michael fox so that was a nice surprise as well and then just in general like not having any expectations about what was going to happen in this quote-unquote horror film and I really enjoyed the dynamic between him and his ghost buddies, which I also was very puzzled about what they were getting out of the deal. So I'm like, you, would, you can't pay them money. It's not like mm -hmm. they need a place to live exactly. It doesn't sound like he's working on helping them cross over or achieve goals or keep in touch with family or whatever it is that they might be wanting. Like, no idea. I was like, what? It's very strange why they work together as a team. But uh, yeah, okay, whatever. They, this the... is what they do. Yeah, yeah, we don't know much about the like... metaphysics of this world. We get little bits like we know that you can ascend when you die. And then if you don't go in the tunnel, then you have to wait mm -hmm. another year. But then yeah. the general at, or the sergeant at the thing says he has 85 years left on his on his tour of duty. And you're <laughs> yeah. like, wait, it's like, I don't but... like, where's the book? You know, it's the book at the end of Beetlejuice. Like, where is this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, where is it? I don't There's a lot of rules. A lot of rules in this film that they just throw out. Yeah, because like Michael J. Fox seemed to be able, like you were talking about earlier, he seemed to be able to interact and touch them or like help them move around or pull them through, you know, obstacles yeah. or something. But but sometimes not. 
it's inconsistent and it seems like some characters have much more control over their their physicality than others and i guess they kind of touch on it when michael jackson uh his uh, his love interest is a doctor puts him in a you know gives him a sedative and puts him in a freezer to get him close to death so he can jump around that up didn't you yes i did (laughs) oh yeah i forgot that you have that phobia you're you're my sister i should i should have thought of that uh really of being stuck in a freezer because well, she yes. works with freezers yeah it's like i would say it's not so much a phobia <laughs> as a very real concern in my daily life <laughs> so whenever we watch movies where someone like gets stuck in a freezer for you know to add tension to the plot or like there was one that we watched where someone just like literally stuck someone in a freezer because they i don't know were trying to be mean or whatever but then like forgot to let them out and they died and I was just like, nope, can't do this. I, I don't even remember yeah. what that was. Fans that write was, in and tell us. Yeah. Uh, it was like Old Man or something. I feel like that one was subtitled. It might have just been one that Jeff sent to me to watch and not what we ended up doing on the podcast. But I mean, overall, the movie was good, but it was just like, uh, when it comes to people stuck in freezers, like. <laughs> that was a trigger <clears> for you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because it's just like a very real, uh, like rational fear in my daily yes. life because i work at a place that has uh walk-in freezers and so i'm in and out of freezers uh regularly oh, that was a DC reference oh no oh fridging no yeah. <laughs> that was, a, that was no. a sad one um yeah. and who anybody anybody doesn't know at this point uh when you hear the term fridging when it refers to this is a really crazy thing when you hear the term fridging uh, it's usually used in for film uh deadpool 2 had it uh, and got some critiques for it where um the the female love interest is is killed simply as a plot device to move the lead character the male into some sort of performative action to to finish the plot along and it's got a lot of criticism but it actually comes from a comic book uh it comes from uh, uh the before it was the parallax arc uh this sort of tour tour the green lantern world apart in the 90s um i believe had that and it was a it was a very it was shocking when it happened uh in the comics and uh very unsettling but it's called that because Hal Jordan finds his love interest dead and packed into his his fridge and so they call it fridging it's very upsetting and that term has come from comic books and is used almost exclusively in films now really and Mm -hmm. and it's interesting I don't think most people know where that came from and it's funny because we got a new fridging when we got a new Indiana Jones movie where he stuffs himself into a fridge and then gets nuked. And it's like, it's so crazy. Cause that, I know this is, this is neither here nor there, but um, the Indiana Jones, the kingdom of the crystal call, I actually think was a fine flick, except for that scene that we opened with. It was too, like, not that everything was perfect, but that was so extreme and, and sort of unbelievable to me that it really made the whole rest of them. Like I was still stuck on that watching the entire rest of the movie. Uh, Do a cut of the the film without it. I'll watch it and I'll let you know. (laughs) Yeah. Because seriously, like that, that one, that's not a bad idea because that one scene, you know, Indiana Jones is going to be stuck in a nuclear blast, a mushroom cloud hides in a fridge and the fridge is launched from the explosion lands and he gets out unscathed. That was I'm okay with like, you know, writers like not fully understanding physics or even just ignoring like in this film, they kind of just made up rules and blah, 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 blah. That's fine. But that one's just like, it's such like a fundamental misunderstanding of like physics that it's just like, 
like because it's not it, just like radiation the, it's an explosion like it, yeah it, the, the the fridge doesn't protect him if it's accelerating out at the speed that means he's now accelerated at that speed it's the same force as getting hit by the explosion it's an old fridge <laughs> and it was it was lined with lead shut the fuck up it's fine also i just also checked lined I, just, with cushions. I just checked and made sure nukethefridge.com is still up and running Oh, man. Yes, that yeah. the, everybody knows you just put some cushions in between you and the the nuke, and you're you're good. That's mm. that's what MythBusters should have ended with. You know, they should have done a nuclear blast and and had you know Adam in a fridge. Uh, yeah. That would that would have been the big send off. Yeah, no, <laughs> I I anyway, that's neither here nor there. But um, anyway, could but, we stop watching movies where people almost die in freezers? You know, I don't think I actually don't think there's that many, and I can't. there are so many <laughs> of all the other things to avoid. Yeah, uh, I will. I will. Keep yeah, like that in literally, mind. we could watch anything else. Canceling <laughs> cold storage off the list, uh, no. freezer dome. I don't know. Um, yeah, so frighteners. I I think this movie is a lot of fun. What blows me away though about this movie every time is how perfectly everybody is cast. Every single person in this has a nice little moment to shine. It is a true delight. Um, we have, as I said, you know, we, we've talked about Michael J. Fox. I'm a big Michael J. Fox fan. Uh, we talk about he does a great job. Trina Alvarado does a good job as sort of the, um, uh, oh, what is her name? Mini, uh, no, not Mini Driver. Um, she was, uh, my my brain is fine, but the 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 lead female or lead woman i don't know what i'm i'm going all female male here the lead woman in uh michael with uh wow this is the covid fog that's continued to hang around guys but anyway she does a great job um we have uh peter dobson who plays like his uh her boyfriend who gets killed early on uh he was the one that played elvis in um uh in wow it is bad today sorry guys this is what covid does be careful this will mess with your brain uh in that movie tom hanks he runs why forrest gump jesus criminy anyway he plays elvis in forrest gump uh but he does a really good job in a comedic part uh being this sort of bumbling jerky boyfriend um john astin as we said plays the judge uh i always get uncomfortable with the definite uh non-me to approved um the judge uh well there's no other way to say it uh humping a uh mummy oh, yes. in a sarcophagus scene yeah, i was gonna and mention then, that moment and yeah. then saying uh, uh i like it when they lie still like that oh, it's yeah, just that real weird that was it's real just cringy, real cringy. <laughs> and yeah, i'm sorry was, i know that it's that like well bad. it's a different time no it was cringy when it happened because yeah, i was that, in the theater <laughs> it was cringy uh and, and that's I, what does so... that even mean but it's it's definitely like very rapey very <laughs> yeah it's a weird yeah, weird yeah. moment um and you know it's like I said, this is clearly a bridge between like the bad taste era Peter Jackson and the Lord of the Rings era Peter Jackson. And that's intentional. Like I can tell you for a fact from from being a fan of Peter Jackson's work all the way up, off-color jokes. And this is, I think kind of is actually kind of a staple for New Zealand film and, and media in general. The off-color jokes are uh, ever-present. And so that's not a mistake. It was just as unsettling at the time as it is now. Uh, and and yeah, that was weird. But he does a great job. Um, of course, Jake Jake Busey does 
the best crazy person. I mean, he did it in contact too, because he has he has the looks and energy of his dad, Gary Busey, but with a much more youthful, like powerful exuberance. Like in some and ways, Jake has dead blue eyes. Yes. Just that if you look at them individually, it's like quite handsome, but his energy and that huge, you know, Busey grin is just terrifying. And he, he, he played a crazy person in contact. Uh, he played this crazy person. And Whereas his dad has always looked like a man. Like, you know, when we watched Eye of the Tiger, like, uh, and Ginger Dead Man, they're both pre and post accident. Gary Busey looks like a man. Whereas Jake Busey always has a boyish quality to him. And it makes it even, it makes the crazy more unsettling, uh, to me. And then we get Chi McBride, who is, you know, um, the the guy that died in the 70s cyrus so he has an afro and like a leisure suit uh and he's one of the ride or die friends and then we have stewart jim fife who i believe died in the 50s because he has sort of like a a crop like a preppy trying to be cool greaser look uh with like a red leathery jacket uh and then we have troy evans who i always love troy evans he's playing yet another sheriff uh almost always plays a sheriff people if you don't remember he was I mean, this isn't the first time he's worked with um, Michael J. Fox. He was in, he was a basketball coach in Teen Wolf in 1985. So they, they'd worked together before, but uh, you, you sort of, if you don't think, you know, Troy Evans, you do know Troy Evans. He was in Demolition Man, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. I uh, just so many films, but he does a good job. And he usually plays the sort of dumb cop or like dumb assistant and this he's like the amiable goofy seemingly dumb sheriff but he also holds his own and like kind of tells like when he's talking to um when we first get introduced to uh, the the crazy fbi agent that jeffrey combs plays uh dahmers he like he holds his own against dahmers and kind of tells him what to do because dahmers is being weird and that was nice because it was more of a real character um than than a just a stock dumb sheriff character um and then we had uh as i said d wallace plays the patricia bradley the she was the 15 year old girlfriend of the serial killer who's grown up and was sort of acquitted but everyone thinks she was part of it and of course she is part of it now i think this movie this is crazy to me but this movie really was trying to get a pg-13 rating uh in fact there's there's scenes that were shot that were never finished um, and, and lots of stuff that was cut by uh, Jackson to get a PG-13 rating. And he, they kept putting it forward to the review board and it kept getting an R. Uh, and so eventually he just was like, well, why he, he got mad apparently at himself for cutting so much when it wasn't going to happen anyway. And so he the one thing that they did know he added is uh, when they were like, it's going to get an R rating. He said, screw it. And they redid the, the scene where Jeffrey Combs character is shot with a shotgun because originally he gets shot in the chest or stomach. And in the final version, he just gets shot in the head and his head explodes, but he still has his ghost head there, which was a nice scene. Um, but it's, to be honest with the, the, the plot line in general and the scenes that are present, it's wild to me to think that this would have gotten a PG 13 rating. It's just too, it's the, the plot element is too gruesome for a PG 13 rating. Um, and, and you have to remember, this is 1996, and I believe the Columbine school shooting, uh, which, while it certainly wasn't the first mass shooting in American history, really put mass shootings on the radar and had it. It was the beginning of the modern what we live with in this country because of of bad political uh, players, which is people shooting other people in these mass shootings. 
and that hadn't occurred yet um and what happened now i think is if you if this movie were to be scripted and done now it would never have gotten the kind of it may have gotten made because it's a solid funny horror film which does play well with audiences i don't think it would have gotten a wide release it would have gone direct to video of some kind or streaming it would not have hit theaters and i think the reasoning the reason why is this mass killing element it's it's too much a part of everyday life um and and it's it's unsettling in a way that i don't think it was in 1996 in fact i believe it was in taz uh, it was in tasmania somewhere tasmania or something it wasn't actually released in theaters because there was a a recent uh murder spree that was uncomfortably close to the sanitarium murder spree and so they they didn't release it it ended up getting a video release later uh, but that's the kind of thing that is is much more in our in our our mental thoughts now so i don't think that would have played and it certainly wouldn't have gotten a pg-13 i think netflix would have picked it up and then they would have ripped it apart and made it into some like multi-part series uh more centered around the the horror elements of the serial killers and i'm not saying you couldn't do well with that uh but it it just this is the kind of movie that i don't think we really will get again because of that it has this really gruesome serial killer element but at the same time it is a comedy um there's some really i mean peter jackson is a great director and there's no question that this is a well-directed film there are some really crazy cool shots there's also just some really classically designed effective shots like um there's when d wallace's character is uh hunting um michael j fox through the hospital the sanitarium uh and she's still wearing a girlish dress but she's very much the wild woman and she has a shotgun and she's like poking all the bed covers and stuff and he's like hiding under one of the beds with a blanket over him and he's he like switches between seeing her at that moment looking for him to seeing her as a 15 year old girl just and you can't see the people in the beds you just see her shooting into the beds and then shooting whoever's on top of his bed and a hand just falls over the side like these are really um i mean you could have changed you could have taken that scene out changed the music and it would have been an utterly harrowing like in cold blood moment um because it is quite harrowing and so these are the kind of things where an experienced director like jackson who cut his teeth with these really indie films that are off the wall um he knows the power of a well a well-developed well-organized um shot right so it really ups the effectiveness of the movie and like like jeff said even with problems and even with dated graphics it's just watchable um it's just a well-crafted fast-ish moving movie which is interesting because as tad said the end is a little long it's an hour and 50 minutes um and that's the that's the theatrical cut there is a director's cut that's about two hours and two minutes and there is an additional like 20 something minutes at least that was not even finished footage wise like it was filmed and not completed for example we get the character of judge get getting cut in half um in uh, an early scene by uh johnny bartlett when he's in the guise of the grim reaper and he actually comes back as just the top half in the incomplete footage uh and we actually see the ghost dog uh which he has with him uh, at the end and and that actually would have been kind of nice to have because it is weird that he never makes another appearance after that um but again you know 
it's kind of a long movie already and for 1996 standards pushing two hours for a comedy even if it is like a comedy thriller is really is really stretching it uh i i want to give a shout out so as i said d wallace and jake Busey together they do such a good job um but and i always loved jake Busey in this and remembered him being excellent but actually i was surprised watching at the end how little screen time he really has um he has this this scene which where he, when they think he's defeated and he has this like spooky monster face that he had with the grim reaper guys and michael j fox's character picks it up and starts slamming the 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 the, the fleshy face against like a tomb and, and until and then it splats against the wall and it becomes who it really is which is johnny bartlett's face and it slides down and he has this great like little mini monologue conversation as this sliding goo face uh and he does really well and they did a good job with that even with the slightly dated effects but who really kind of blew me away that i didn't remember i remembered her being good but d wallace as the the girlfriend her her manic movements her like crazy laughter her like girlish childish desire to please like her her dead serial killer boyfriend it, it's wild like she does a, she's unhinged in the best way in this and it's really great and she's so often played roles of being like the loving figure in a film that to play this character was a departure and it was great um but the one that really steals the show for me that just that it just blows my mind that he's not in that he hasn't been in more mainstream and this is not to say he doesn't work he's worked a lot he's done some amazing things jeffrey combs as uh as agent dahmer is just i, I can't even I, I he's so perfect when he steps in front into any scene he just owns it and peter jackson lets him play like we get so many close-ups of him and he's wearing contacts in this so his eyes are very dark and he's just just he he clearly is whoever he's playing and we've talked about him before on this podcast of course his most famous films are the reanimator films by uh stuart gordon and brian yuzna and he's done lots of work with full moon uh features which we love but of course we talked about him when he played dr mordred uh the dr strange um uh sort of <laughs> the doc the reskinned dr strange movie uh, but in this i mean he is just so good he has these this it's the first scene we get of him he has this super hitler style haircut uh which if you're watching the video i'm sorry i'm not a hitler fan but i do have a bit of a a, a crew crewish cut right now um but he he has this crazy which apparently was his idea because he's like this guy is a super nationalist nut job um and he walks in and starts grilling the lead actress uh about michael j fox's character and then when she gets agitated and yells he like has this insane panic moment and throws up in his mouth and has to run to the bathroom because he has a problem with with like aggressive female voices like he has this literal it's just like you he just has spilt so many insanities into one character that you don't know exactly what his backstory is but i bought every single line coming out of his mouth and then we get the scene where he he reveals that he's like think he not only believes in like telepathic or telekinetic murder but like he's a true occult fanatic and he rips open his shirt and he has like occult tattoos and big scarification things on his chest and uh which also apparently was part of his 
decision making towards that character as he thought that should be the character and it's just brilliant it's just he i mean he acts with just his eyes in several scenes i mean there are multiple scenes in this where we just get a close-up of his darting eyes and it is effective it's almost as though we step into a whole new level of movie when he's on screen um and i and peter jackson wanted him in there because he loved him in reanimator um and i just it's one of those things where i saw him and i'm like how could more mainstream filmmakers not have jumped on hiring jeffrey combs for this kind of parts like if he's never gonna you know at that point he was he wasn't certainly old but he was older than a lot of the lead roles and he was uh uh he's also I believe fairly short in this he doesn't look short but also michael g fox is very short um but he's shorter so it's like i understand not necessarily fitting the bill unless you already had an established name like tom cruise can get over those elements but but for these side roles these really quirky side parts he's just i would cast him without even knowing i would make a role for him if i knew he was available like that's how amazing he was in this for me um so we've talked a lot about this. The Frighteners uh, is a fun one because we have two new newbies to the the Frighteners world and two old hats. So uh, thank you, Tad, for for giving us this. But uh, I'll start with the recommendations. Uh, I certainly recommend the Frighteners um, to anyone who likes um, quirky cult horror comedies, but even a mainstream thriller horror comedy. Like it really does have that crossover appeal, which is why it got the theater release. Interesting fact before I, I pass it on, this actually was intended to be another Tales from the Crypt Presents movie, like Demon Knight or Bordella of Blood. And, and I'm a huge Demon Knight fan, as well as, of course, um, the, the original TV series. Bordella of Blood has its moments, but certainly Demon Knight was the top one. And that, I can see that in this. That would have been really great. However, Zemeckis, uh, as pr producer, was like, I like this a lot. I think it should stand as its own film. And I kind of think that's the right idea, because um tales from the crypt was a nice tag on uh to release when you weren't sure that the movie had some sort of wide appeal you know you wanted to bring in the audience that would have just followed tales from the crypt anywhere whereas this i think it does have enough to stand on its own and you didn't want to give it's already long you didn't want to give any extra minutes to to a, a framing narration or anything uh but i recommend this uh i as tad said it seems like you should be able to show it to younger kids but i don't think you can i think it's too gruesome um there's also uh some weird gruesome uh practical effects that we get with the ghosts like um jim fife's character gets like his, his face blown in at one point and like it's just this gory mess and he gets his head chopped up by um uh, a car fan and blown out the exhaust it's goofy but it's definitely for an older audience tad would you recommend the frighteners from 1996 uh and if so to who and why it's it's my movie yes um yes i recommend this to but basically like you said people who may be familiar with Peter Jackson, but may not be familiar with his filmography because this is, like I said, I feel like this is a criminally underrated film. It's It fills that gap in the mid nineties where it's like, it echoes Ghostbusters and also some sort of Men in Black at the same time. Like I, you, you kind of get that feel throughout of it, mm -hmm. but no, absolutely go watch it. It's great. It's great for Halloween. Just, um, I don't know, 10 year olds and up. That's fine. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I could have seen this as a kid and, and probably wouldn't have been too. Yeah, but uh, you were a weird kid. I was a weird kid. Uh, I certainly was. I mean, um, I saw Terminator 2 at 8. I mean, this movie's nothing. I saw RoboCop at 5. That's, and that was, that's crazy. Was, I, can't, I still can't watch that movie. I'm sorry. I, oh, oh, well, we're going to, so get used Damn to it. it. Um, it's, well, it's one of my not favorite the remake, films right? Because the remake was, uh, I have opinions was, about the remake. Maybe we should do them both because I think Jeff has opinions too. Uh, but yeah, so I, and I want to say too, this is kind of an unknown film because uh, what other horror film came out in 1996 that kind of stole the thunder? Scream. Scream came out in 1996. Uh, in fact, I believe they both have a cover of Don't Fear the Reaper. So uh, there were parallels. Um, uh, frankly, I much prefer The Frighteners and that's not digging on Scream, but I, I think The Frighteners is a much, for me, I like the the supernatural monstery funkiness of it over the the serial killer slasher. Although there's certainly great elements to both. Jeff, would you recommend the Frighteners from 1996? If so, why and to who? Uh, well, if you've, you've watched any of this, you know that I'm not into the horror genre. The, this this kind of almost doesn't quite fit into it. Like, let's say the second half of this film is definitely, but the first half is almost more like like you know a 90s or an 80s film like it's not even it can't even be like placed in a genre um it's more of a time capsule to the to the period very uh, ghostbusters yeah there's like yeah I, I i do like though i do think the the effects are dated and uh they may be hard for young audiences to get into i do think that there's a kind of um like a historical um, uh, reason to watch this. And it, it is kind of like the, uh, <clears throat> the beginning of special effects becoming great. Um, I think that this is really ambitious. And part of the reason why it doesn't hold up is because there's so many effects in this. It's almost yeah. all effects at, like, <laughs> at certain points. Um, uh, in, like the climax is just pure effects. Um, almost like straight like video game cutscene almost but because they were so ambitious in my opinion it made them work really hard and like come across a lot of challenges and get better um, and five years later we have lord of the rings which you know is a masterpiece so uh i think i think it's worth watching just to kind of see you know where where these things kind of came from and i like, like how you where, said that it's a going that it's like a progress like we've been talking about how it's a bridge between peter jackson's personal tastes and style i also think you're right if this is actually kind of the last the last best gasp of original green screen technology like they worked really hard with it to to make it effective and for the most part they achieved i think the best green screening that there's been until of course now we have insane green screen-esque technology that we're getting with, you know, the Mandalorian and things like that. Um, but the traditional green screen is, this is where I think we get the best of it and also where it's moved on to new technologies thereafter. Mandy, would you recommend The Frighteners from 1996? And if so, why and to who? I would. It was fun. It was a great piece of Michael J. Fox's acting. And like you said, everything else was perfectly cast. So it's just kind of pretty delightful as far as that goes. We also, I don't know if anyone noticed, did not completely hack apart the plot or choices for different scenes that were put in True. or not put in, which is common when we review a film. Uh, so it sounds like in general, the panel was pretty happy with the choices that were made and how this was put together. Uh, yeah, I just, 
I thought it was fun. Um, I do agree with some of the commentary, like um, kind of more on the negative side, where it did feel a little bit overly long uh, in some parts, especially the end. It was sort of like, wait, when when is this gonna like like what is happening? Like the pacing seemed a little weird, but it wasn't like bad. It was watchable. It was just like if you watch a lot of films, like you're gonna have that in the back of your head, like being like this seems slightly off. Um, just because of the length and the pacing. Um, I watched this on my laptop, which doesn't have a big or amazing screen. So I did not notice a lot of the uh, the bad special effects, like particularly <laughs> as bad because I just couldn't see them very well. So maybe watch it on a small screen if you're gonna, if you know you're gonna be sensitive to the special there, effects aspect. That actually aspect is a good point. The you know? screens have gotten much larger and a lot time. more like precise detail. yeah yeah so like not only like are the effects better but like the technology that we view them with mm -hmm. uh, has kind of it, it, you know it's almost kind of like you know if, if you play you know a 8-bit game on a little teeny screen it can look pretty good but you scale mm -hmm. it up to like you know a 50 inch and you're like oh my god yeah. the pixels like you know the size of my fist and you know you mm -hmm. can yeah, see the, our yeah. bigger our current our screens that most people have now are not forgiving of these um, yeah. older special effects it's a great point and it's interesting it's why sort of it's always if you can and a lot of low budget filmmakers like kind of i think do this on accident because they can't afford the effects budget others have is i recently watched both in theater and the new 4k transfer of the lost boys which is fucking fantastic and it it not only holds up it looks fantastic in the new resolution whereas this one i of course would jump on the chance to buy a 4k copy of frighteners but it i imagine will make the effects subs the 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 especially the main ones being the the sort of wall um stretching and uh the, the, the and... and the grim yeah mm -hmm. and the grim reaper um robes that's going yeah. to suffer um, because those are very clearly, uh, you know, mid '90s CGI, and uh, for a middle budget film, and it's it's going to have a, it's going to have an impact. So it's one of those things where it's not going to to have the same effect when we get these higher and higher and higher quality transfers. Um, it would be fascinating if Peter Jackson decided to go back in and re-render many of those effects, because that's certainly possible. Uh, but I don't know who's interested in doing that. Maybe when Michael J. Fox passes, it would be a really fantastic sort of update to do. Right. I also want to throw out here, this is the last film that feature film that Michael J. Fox starred in before moving on to TV so he could stay close to family because he was he had already been diagnosed um with uh, uh parkinson's at this point in 1991 was when he came public with his diagnosis and this is the first time i've watched this film out of I don't, literally dozens where i can think i can see him adopting his acting style to his his limited mobility and limited control obviously he still has a great deal of control at this point but it is uh he actually used sort of the jerkiness of of his his movements to the positive effect of the film and of course we know as, as you said in scrubs much later and spin city after that uh it was much harder for him and uh and and he did a great job with it but it, it's a physical disability that's progressive so we can see that and i'm i think this was a really nice send-off for his film career because he left when he was still able to do 
uh, he did almost all of his own stunts. He broke his foot in this one. Um, it's, yeah. it, it really worked. So, all right. Well, this has been the Frighteners uh, for our spooky October episodes. I want to thank everyone for being on the panel, but also everyone listening. Thank you so much for supporting Colton Classic Films podcast. Please send us requests, reviews. If there's something you want us to do more of, something you want us to do less of, hate mail for Tad, send any of it to Colton Classic um podcast at gmail.com or our new uh email which will be taking over info at colton classic films.com that's info at colton classic films.com please leave a review wherever you get your podcasts and rate us all the stars all the ratings uh and and that helps other people find us and tell your friends tell your enemies tell everybody everybody should watch us everyone all the time nothing but colton classic films that's what i'm going to leave you with to play us out as always is the chud with all about evil Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Colton Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me, but what's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.